Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transfer News Central podcast with me, Johnny Bentley, in the hot seat once again, so you know you're in for a good and entertaining time. I'm joined by my regular talking heads, James and Deck. Hello to you both. Hello to everyone. We're joined by another special guest this week, Zach Lowy from, well, one of the main co-founders from Breaking the Lines. Hi there, Zach. Nice to have you on, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. We've got lots to get through, including I'm going to talk to Zach a little bit about what he does and why he's just so successful on Twitter and so entertaining to read. We're also going to talk about a few of the transfer situations that have been going on this week, and I'll run you through a quick list now. So right at the start of the week, Real Betis said, get the Fekir to the Leo midfielder, Nabil Fekir. Wow. Announce Fakir. Yes, indeed. In a 20 million euro move, which should open up a move for Giovanni Lacelso. That should push forward the move for Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, Real Betis. They bought from PSG with the buyout close to sell for profit. The move for Fakir opens up the uh, opportunity for Lo Celso to potentially go to Spurs. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about Spurs' other links with players such as Paolo Dybala. I know, right? Where did that come from? And uh, Ryan Sessignon as well. However, not all good news for certain Spurs. Well, actually, no, it's good news for Spurs. Maybe less so for their player Eriksen, who's been seeking a move this summer. But it's an Atletico no for the Danish midfielder because the Spanish club are are looking towards James Rodriguez instead of a move for Ericsson. But also, of course, James wants to Real want to get rid of James. Real also want to get rid of Gareth Bale. That is a situation that seems to have no solution. But we'll talk about the deadlock there between club and player. And we'll try and analyse that from all kinds of perspectives. We'll talk about a Real Madrid player that's gone out on loan to Arsenal, uh, Caballos. Uh, Danny Caballos, very exciting player. And Arsenal fans are very uh, excited about uh, the Spaniard coming into the midfield to hopefully sort of nullify the void left by Aaron Ramsey. Alongside all of that, we'll try and get in Zahar and Joe Linton and talk to Zach a little bit about what he does and why he's so good at what he does. But first of all... That sounds like loads, Johnny. Are you sure we've got time for all of that? I know it does, but you're fortunate that I'm so efficient in what I do. <laughs> it's just going to be so efficient. Anyway, Fekir, Zach, to Real Betis. And, and I notice on Twitter you like to comment on how smaller clubs are financially clever in the transfer market. And Fekir for €20 million Euros seems like a really clever bit of business. I mean, Real, I think Betis finished 10th in La Liga last year. So they've not got Europe... To attract a player of this caliber, that's something really special for them, isn't it? It really is. And I mean, I was actually writing last night for a South African betting site on how on why Fekir is one of the best bargains of the season. For one, they didn't even really have to pay the full asking price that Betis was demanding, which was 30 million. It ended up being uh, 20 million euros plus 10 million in potential add-ons. And I think that Leon also remained with some small percentage for a resale fee. But no, it's, it's an incredible signing that they just managed to pick up for a variety of factors. And just looking at Betty's disappointing season under Kik Setien, I think it's a massive move for them. Also, it'll be the first time in Fekir's professional career where he isn't playing European football. So he had actually held off on... He had put the Betis transfer on standby for a few days because he was waiting to see if he would get an offer from a club that was in Europe. But I think the combination of the fact... This was a pretty disappointing season for Fekir this past season, which I think can be partially explained by his failed transfer to Liverpool last summer. And that, you know, caused him to, I think, sulk and not really want to be there, not really give his best effort. Also, of course, given his uh, previous injury history, especially the knee problems that kind of caused Liverpool to pull out of the transfer. But, you know, Betsy saw 
the potential in Fekir, saw just what he has to offer. And I mean, like I said uh, a few days ago, to go from Dani Ceballos to Fabian Ruiz to Giovanni Lo Celso to Nabil Fekir, that's just a spectacular sequence in terms of replacing players. You know, even even clubs that have developed a reputation for being so good and so correct when it comes to replacing players, even clubs like Monaco and Southampton, they've seen them, you know, struggle with the threat of relegation just because they, they got one replacement or two replacements wrong. But this, for me, I mean, that's just an incredible sequence. And I think that the Fekir move, I think that it'll pay off. I think that he's not the same player that he was before his injury in 2015. You know, for me, 2014-15, that was the best season in Fekir's career, uh, combining with Lacazette and nearly dragging uh, Lyon to the Ligue 1 title. But he's a different player now. I don't think he'll be playing on the wing in Ruby's 4-3-3. I think he'll be playing as an interior in midfield. And he'll just be using, you know, his quick feet, his creativity, and all of the other things that just make him such a special playmaker to watch, really. I mean, if I were just visiting Sevilla or if I were Sevilla native, I would just make it a goal of mine to just go to the Via Marin and see Fekir play. I mean, like you say, he's a very talented player and you, you clearly feel like he's going to be a success in Spain. And you've kind of hinted the answer to what I'm going to ask next, actually, because obviously 12 months ago, as James alluded to, announced Fakir, uh, hashtag, of course, with uh, Liverpool. And it did look like he was going to seal a move for about £54 million. Uh, and obviously that move broke down for a variety of factors, as you sort of hinted as well, um, problems with his knee. But how can a player lose so much value? I know, obviously, he didn't have the best of seasons, but surely to go to Betis, 20 million euros significant fall in value no european clubs in sight how can that be just 12 months on after he was within you know inches of a 54 million pound move to the european champions i think part of it just has to do with the way we contextualize hype i think that there are a lot of inferior players that are going for much larger transfer fees simply because they have the flavor of the month kind of vibe whereas mm-hmm. fekir you know he's seen as though he's yesterday's news fact is Fekir is still a very good player on his day. I think that there aren't there really aren't many players who are more similar to Lionel Messi than Fekir. And I don't say that lightly, but I think that on his day is just absolutely spectacular. He's an underrated finisher too. He can finish from long range. It is just spectacular that Betis managed to pull him in. He went from, in a few days, he went from holding off on the Betis transfer to telling his agents to get it done that I want that move. And I do think that part of the reason why, well, first of all, Seville is a lovely city to live in. It's it's very similar to Lyon. But also, looking at that chain that we talked about, Ceballos, he went to Real Madrid after a breakout season. Fabian, he went to Napoli after a breakout season. Uh, Lo Celso, he's probably going to go to Tottenham. Yep. All of those are Champions League teams. Fekir probably saw that and realized, you know what? If I can just give La Liga a season of mine that, that was anywhere near what I did in 2017-18 or 2014-15, I'm definitely going to get that move. And the fact is he's still 26, I believe. Still got a lot to offer. And yeah, I think that on his day, he's just an absolutely spectacular player to watch. And yeah, Betis did well in just going there and pulling the trigger where other teams were gun-shy and making the move. I think that in many ways, to a lesser degree, it's like Spurs' capture of Ndombele. Because when you look at a player of that caliber, you think, you know, Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain. But Tottenham, they made it a priority of theirs to sign Ndombele, and they got it done. And I think that it's the same thing with Betis. Really, 
At the end of the day, Betsy's were the only team that showed a concrete interest in him, and they got it done. Well, yeah, you mentioned there as we move around the spider's web, um, that sort of transfer has given the option now to try and cash in on, on Lo Celso. Um, very talented player in himself. And just to bring you two guys in, Deck and James, you sitting there patiently observing and listening. Tottenham are really making some statements of intent, aren't they? If they get this Lo Celso transfer through, and we're going to move on to the Ericsson thing in a second, but it looks like they may be keeping Ericsson to have a midfield of, to get Endombele and Lo Celso in to strengthen that midfield. That is a massive advancement, isn't it? And surely more than any of us expected Tottenham to do, given Daniel Levy's tight purse strings. I think it's um, very ambitious in Tottenham. I think getting to the Champions League final. You make a lot of money from getting to the Champions League final, by the way. You make even more by winning it, but you get a lot from getting to the final. Um, and I think also the new stadium. They've got a lot of money with AIA as well, haven't they, I think? Yeah, and they want to keep Pochettino happy as well. Um, he's an ambitious manager. He wants to win things. He doesn't want to just go every season finishing third, you know, finishing fourth, winning nothing. Much as Chelsea fans like me would love that to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's... And I'm impressed, really, with... And Don Belli is an excellent signing. Um, and, yeah, the other two you mentioned... Um, LaCelsa, who we expect to sign. Yeah, and then there's um, Sessegnon as well, who looks like I yeah. quite likely that he will go there as well. So they're going to be stronger this year, without a doubt. I mean, Dirk LaCelsa is someone who sort of lessens the creative burden on a Christian Eriksen. We init- initially in the summer, people thought it was going to be a like-for-like, like, well, not like-for-like, like, but a replacement for Eriksen's creativity possibly leaving, LaCelsa's creativity to come in to try and sort of fill that void. But potential is now that they could be lining up with both of them in the Spurs team. I mean, creativity in abundance, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think it's really interesting just because it's not just those players that they've either brought in or already got an Eriksen. You have to think of players like Harry Winks that sort of established himself, Deli Alley. These players have got to fit in, and especially now we see how many games we know are played in a season. There will be space for all of them, but in terms of creativity, like you said, it's going to be an abundance for him, especially when you've got such a star striker like Harry Kane. You think he's got to be really rubbing his hands together at the thought of um, all those players. But it seems like with Lo Celso, he really wants that sort of Argentinian connection with Mauricio Pochettino. That seems to be the main driving force there, and it looks like a great opportunity. And if they manage to keep Ericsson as well, obviously I think they'd be cautious now that his contract is coming down so he's got less than two years now that they probably feel they need to cash in if, if he doesn't really feel like he wants to stay but if they can surround him with such talent it's a similar thing that maybe it would be um, inevitable that he would sign a new contract because hopefully they'd want to continue winning things and getting to more finals and actually getting over that extra line of getting to the final and winning something. I think it ties into Manchester United here as well because there's been a lot of rumours this week that Manchester United want to buy um, Linkovic Savic to replace Pogba who would almost by default go to Real Madrid, which would mean that Ericsson wouldn't go to Real Madrid, which would mean that... Well, 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 there's another web to this spider. That, <laughs> that wasn't the right turn of phrase at all. That was terrible. Um... You've used the same one twice. <laughs> no, no, no. I was gonna. I was just gonna. Cause you mentioned that. That's interesting. I'm gonna bring uh, Zach in with this actually because Spurs have been linked with Paolo Dybala. I want to know your thoughts on the legitimacy of those links first of all, but also maybe to ponder the idea with Pogba in the background here. Juventus did get money for Dybala. Could that then go towards a big move for Paul Pogba? That's a tough one. I mean, one thing you've got to remember when talking about these kind of rumors is that the English Premier League transfer window closes in. I think it's less than two weeks now. So I think that I would just rule out a big move for... I would rule out Pogba leaving this summer. I think it's very likely that he leaves next summer. But this summer, I don't think so. 
were Juve to sell Dybala, I think that they might use this that fee for Federico Chiesa because his future is still undetermined and he, he could leave, especially with you know the new ownership in Fiorentina, Rocco Comiso coming in to replace the De La Valle brothers. But no, I think that I would rule out a move for Pogba this late into the window. I just don't think, you know, it's been a pretty quiet window actually from Manchester United, which is surprising. I mean, we heard all this about from not just uh, Solskjaer, but from the higher ups in the club that this would be, you know, a ruthless window and then they'd get rid of all the deadwood. But I mean, it's two weeks or less than two weeks left in the window and Smalling hasn't left. Jones hasn't left. Darmian hasn't left. They've just got new contracts, Zach. They ain't going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. All the supposed Deadwood has gotten massive new contracts. That's pretty much what this summer has actually been for United, just giving players uh, massive contracts. Rashford signed to a massive deal. De Gea set to renew for, I think, £375,000 a week, if I'm not mistaken. And also, I think that given how little time there is left in the window, United's chances of making a move for Harry Maguire are running out too. I mean, That would be so funny as well would be so funny yeah. because they've been chasing him forever and the incompetency of Man United I think is a, a topic that's discussed weekly on this podcast yeah. it feels like Groundhog Day because we're all saying the same things but no I completely agree with everything you say Zach I don't think that Pogba will necessarily go even though that's what some people were probably fancifully speculating they were chasing Maguire after the World Cup ended. I mean, they were tabling like 80 million euro bids and I don't know. Crazy. But just to go back to the Dybala thing, Zach, how do you think that there is a chance that he goes to Spurs? Because the cynic in me suggests, and the cynic and a few others have suggested, that they may be doing that to sort of try and negotiate a lower fee for Lacelso, saying that they've got other options there and that, you know, they may be going for those. But then again, Dybala and Lacelso aren't the same position of player or same type of player. So what do you think about that potential move? I think that this is probably just a move from Spurs to lower the Lo Celso price. And also, I mean, Spurs do know that Betis do need to sell Lo Celso given that Fekir won't want to be, you know, competing with someone else for a starting spot. And I think that Dybala will end up saying, I think that this rumor will end up being quashed soon. I think that Juve, one, I think that Juve's asking price will be too much for Tottenham. I mean, if they're haggling over the price of Los so there's really no way that they would make a move for uh, Dybala, who I think would cost in the region of 90 million. I think that Dybala feels that he can have a new lease on life with Mauricio Sarri joining. And I think that it will be his desire to join forces and try to play under Sorry, I think if there were to be one big departure from Juve this summer, I think it would be Moise Kane. I could see him, but that's, you know, that's another discussion. Yes, it is. I know, for sure. I mean, he's actually been linked with a few clubs on loan, actually. I think Everton were one of the clubs he was linked with. So, obviously, very bright talent. But Juventus' strength in depth is incredible, I think, at the moment. And uh, I'm sure Maurizio Sarri will be loving to sink his teeth into that particular job. But just to round off the Spurs discussion then, so, as I sort of alluded to with my terrible puns at the start, Atletico Madrid seem who were a potential suitor for uh, Ericsson, according to uh, some source in the media. I don't think it was ever massively concrete or anything but they were linked with him they now have appeared to uh, have turned their attentions to James Rodriguez instead which makes Ericsson's options quite limited and I know that it was suggested that uh, Spurs may want to try sell Ericsson he's not got long left on his contract but if the grass isn't greener elsewhere and you know there's a lot of avenues that have shut for Ericsson might Tottenham tie him down to a new deal or we've been overly optimistic 
if it were a Spurs fan. I think they only will if maybe they do get in more reinforcements. And um, it does sort of feel like it's trying to impress him to keep him happy. But I feel like Christian Eriksen isn't one of these players to kick up a fuss. It's just like if he wants the move and if someone comes in and they pay the right price, he'll go. I feel like that is more linked to his contract running down. But I can't see it being a, a massive issue for, for Tottenham currently. No. James? Yeah, I'm with um, I'm with Deck. To be honest, I don't think that's an issue. What we would say though is that certainly Tottenham with Ericsson are better than Tottenham without Ericsson. And in a season where you know it's it's crazy because they thought they might lose Ericsson, they thought Alderweireld would be sold on a 25 million buyout clause. That's now sailed. They've kept Ericsson and they're signing players, so it's looking quite rosy, isn't it, for Tottenham? It is. I've said this to people that I think they're going to finish top three. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I don't think anyone will finish in the top three outside of City, Liverpool and Spurs. Um, that, that's the top three. If Ericsson stays and then they do well, then he'll sign a new contract. And I, I thought he had one year left in his contract. Yeah, he does. Well, in that case, they've got to, in that case, he's got to sign a new contract by Christmas. But they could sell him in January, couldn't they? So it, it depends how they... Yeah, that's right. I mean, exactly. He's got to sign a new contract by Christmas. So yeah, if he yeah. doesn't, they'll just sell him in January. Um, but um, yeah, I, mean, if, if he, I think if he stays this summer, he's staying. I think they'll try and tie him down. Yeah, well, they've got quite a few players out of contract at, at Tottenham, to be fair. But Yeah, maybe they're showing ambition. Like maybe, or they just get him a new contract and sell him for a fat amount next summer. I'm sure Daniel Levy's got a plan. Daniel Levy always has a plan, uh, particularly with finances. He's very efficient with his finances. But Zach, back to you. We've just had a, we've had a bit of a talk about just you know generally what's been going on. But a bit about yourself. So I've, I've been definitely not been stalking your LinkedIn account, and uh, just just thought I'd ask you about a few things that were on there, particularly that interested me. So before we get on to the uh, breaking the lines and all that, in May 2015, awarded by. You were awarded uh, by the English faculty as the top writer in the class. I mean, I can relate to that. I mean, back, did... I honestly don't even remember that. You don't remember? Back in 20... To be... It was just high school was a long time ago. Oh, know? I know. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I, I won an award in 2014, and you two don't know this either, it was the top best entrepreneur of the year. Wow. Wow. No, 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 no. What's well, your no, business idea? In, in the north her. of England, it was just to turn the tap on. <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, they, they, gave me the, they gave me the gold badge and everything. Water? Running water? Mental. But no, um, no, I'm just... Because wow. I'm with you, actually, Zach. I mean, I look back at some of those things. I, uh, I was a financial director. This isn't my life story, but I was a financial director in 2012 for a, a young enterprise business that was county winning. Wow. Now, that sounds impressive. I was terrible with numbers, but... <laughs> Well, but I, I was, you know, I was part of that. Anyway, it's not about me. This is about me. Yeah, this is, you're not in, I'm not interviewing myself. What I was going to ask, actually, from these early um, honours and awards, another one, actually, uh, National Scholastic Art and Writing Awards, February 2014. Silver key for the persuasive essay. Um, Honourable mention. You know, these are obviously signs from when you were younger that you were very in, uh, writing, very into this kind of thing. Was it something that you always felt like you wanted to go into this field in terms of journalism, in terms of writing? Did you feel that from an early age? It seems apparent that you did. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I've always liked to tell stories just in general. You know, I've always been interested. You know, I, I remember in working at the school newspaper, I used to, you know, write stories that weren't necessarily local, but just like, I don't know, talking about Vermont's heroin epidemic or talking about the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico's economic structure and, I don't know, California and Texas. Wow. Heavy subject matters. Heavy subject matters. Yeah. No, it does. No, yeah, it sounds, sounds thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> So what was the best story that you wrote about? I have a few, at least from my newspaper career, that I think 
that that remember. I, I have a few good ones that were local and a few one, good ones that were not local. I don't know. I, I'll, I'd have to dig some up and, and try to find them. But yeah, there were there were some good ones that I, I have fond memories about writing. That was a, that was a nice time. <laughs> we'll save that for the next time you appear, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like those series where next time on the Transfer New Central podcast, we get the inside stories. Um, but no, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously I can tell you're very passionate about what you do and that sounds really riveting. Some of the topics that you wrote on. But what you are obviously very well known for is being a co-founder of uh, Breaking the Lines, which is a Twitter account that, um, well, it's a website, of course, that, that does really well on Twitter uh, with various accounts. That, and I've read a few of the articles before, even before knowing you or before doing this. And often the people who write there are really insightful and, and put some really good content forward for you. But I mean, co-founder of this website. So how does this project kind of start? Is this you meeting up with some mates or is this you trying to seek out other people on Twitter? How did you build this to a position where two of your Twitter accounts are, you know, in, in the tens of thousands, um, one of them's over 30,000 followers. How does this idea come into fruition? Yeah, it was pretty funny. I think it was the winter, December of 2016. And I was just doing, you know, another one of my threads talking about like the best breakout stars of 2016, the best players to keep an eye out on tw- for on 2017, uh, the best players of 2017, you know, this and that. And one guy who had been following me for a little bit, Tomas Anderson. Big shout out. Yeah, shout out to Tomas. He saw me. He saw those threads and he uh, DM'd me and uh, said, "Hey, I really like your ideas. Uh, I really like these threads. What if we like set up a website and like made it into, you know, made your threads into like articles and stuff?" So I was like, "Yeah, sure, that sounds cool." And he asked me to come up with a name, and I was just trying to search for ideas, and I decided breaking the lines because kind of as football moves into this sort of, you know, the modern era. Really, we look for players who can break the lines, whether that's goalkeepers who can break the lines with their passes or... Wow, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot, Zach. That sounds good. Center backs who can break the lines with their dribbles, fullbacks who can break lines with their passes, really anything. Just able to break down a system and use their intelligence, their technical ability, and whatever else to get around it, which is really just the game changers. So yeah, I settled on that name. And then we started off putting out a lot of videos. Don't do that as much anymore because, you know, leagues have gotten stricter with copyright. But we released a few lists and and I'm planning on on releasing a few more, you know, top 25 African youngsters, uh, top 50 players of the year. Got another interesting one, should be by the end of the summer, that I'm very excited for. I've been working on that for a while. And yeah, we've just done some really interesting content. We've interviewed some great players like Tyler Adams, who just you know made the move to Red Bull Leipzig, uh, to RB Leipzig. And it's been a great experience. I think that just now, what one of the things that gives me the most happiness and the most pride is just seeing a lot of aspiring content creators, whether you know they be writers or tactical analysts, who just really want a shot, want a chance for exposure and to show to show our followers and just the general football Twitter community what they're capable of. And it's, it's just amazing to give those guys a chance and to see them relish and take advantage of that. And, you know, we've had some people who've just, who've really grown so much and gone on to way bigger things because of that. And that, that really makes me happy and it gives me something to be proud of. They should. I mean, your two main accounts, so you've got at BTLVid, which is 38,000, has 38,000 followers, which is, incre- which is incredible. And at 
Breaking Lines, which has 13,500 followers. I mean, I know you talk about your pride for these people that have gone on, but you must have pride, I mean, from your point of view, to have, to be a co-founder when it started from the bottom, to see those numbers soar. I mean, people say it's a bit vain to comment on social media following and whatnot, but it's definitely not. I mean, that is 38,000. Those 38,000 to 13,500 numbers, that just signifies how hard you've worked and emphasizes that hard work's paying off. Those numbers surely make you very proud. Yeah, they do. Thank you so much. And for example, I mean, the original account, breaking the lines of the original one, it got suspended. I thought it was going to be permanently for the, the summer of 2017. And I was really just heartbroken, but I didn't want to quit because just really there were you know so many people who loved it. So I started a new account. And then uh, I think by the end of my sophomore year, that account was on, I don't know, like around maybe more than 20,000 followers. Magically, um, yeah. the, the other one just came back to life. So we've got that one back and we've got the, you know, now it's the main one. And yeah, we've done a lot of great stuff hit a lot of amazing uh, milestones and it's just been really great to do stuff in different languages like last month i got to i got the privilege of interviewing of going to the toulon tournament i got to interview 12 players in three different languages i think it was uh four irish players no it was 10 players sorry four irish players three brazilian players and uh three mexican players Uh, so that was that was really awesome and btl definitely helped with that i know it sounds weird but kind of just to be able to go in like a press box to go into the mix zone and to like have breaking the lines and your full name on a press tag and like to be able to interview these players i mean it's just there's nothing like it yeah there really is it's like this is what you work so hard for this is the big yeah any particular interview that stood out for you you know who was your favorite interview give him a shout out I had a great interview with Emerson, who's the Brazilian player for Barcelona, now alone on Betis. He'll be playing with Fekir next season. But I actually think my favorite interview was Jason Malumbi of Ireland, currently on Brighton. He was the captain of the Ireland team. He eventually got the fourth best player at the Toulon tournament. And yeah, he was just um, a really hardworking player, just would win the ball back and was always, you know, giving it his all. And we talked about just his career, his recovery from injury. He'd previously been injured for really just 15 months. And to be able to come back and play like four games in just absurdly hot weather, it was interesting. And I think that it's one thing that's nice is just like talking to these players. Most of them are the same age yeah, as me. Crazy. Yeah. So I feel like it gave me like an opportunity to, I don't know, connect with them more because we're really all kind of in the same stage of life. You know, some of us are trying to find our way in journalism. These players are all trying to find their way in football. None of these players in Toulon are, you know, superstars yet. They're still, you know, trying to make their path. And I imagine there was a modesty to them then, as opposed to the ego of some kind of superstars. There would, like you say, a modesty, a grounding when you were talking to them. Yeah, there was a grounding to not even the Irish players, but also the Mexican players and the Brazilian players. Also, I mean, the Japanese players, I would have loved to interview them, but I don't speak Japanese. And even the French translator, like, apparently wasn't really that good in translating the <laughs> Japanese. But no, and, and like, even the Brazilian players, um, looking at the players who've gotten big money moves so far, like Mateus Cunha and Paulinho and Douglas Luiz, who recently joined Aston Villa. I think he was actually probably the best player of the tournament. They hadn't really kicked on in their 
in their careers. Uh, the Irish certainly hadn't. I mean, one thing about the Irish players, and they, they had a valiant effort. They were one, they were the only European team that made it to the semifinals. I think that aside from Dara O'Shea, who was the center back alongside Connor Masterson, none of those players were playing regular minutes in like a top well, I mean, O'Shea was playing the championship, but you know, a top league, like championship, premier league. So that's, that's the key thing for the Irish players, really. I think just to get top minutes at the professional level, that was one thing that I talked to Jason about. And it's a struggle, you know, I mean, you're not getting minutes at your, at your parent club. That was the key thing for Masterson, who wasn't getting minutes at Liverpool and uh, left on a free transfer. You know, it's, it's a struggle. But it's also the same thing for a lot of Japanese and Mexican players. Yeah, well, it's an opportunity to put themselves, I suppose, in the shop window and show themselves to the wider world. And just before we move on back to a, a bit more discussion on transfers and speculation, just two more questions, slightly off of now. So on the topic of your LinkedIn, it says that you've been a Spanish tutor for the past four years. So Gareth Bale could, in theory, do with you at the moment, I think. But, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure you're too expensive for him and his £600,000 wages. But does this mean you're fluent in Spanish then? Yeah, it is one of my languages I speak. You know, I spent a lot of time learning and just becoming more fluent and just kind of mastering it. I got to live in Spain last year. That was a really great experience just to be able to speak Spanish every day. I actually prefer speaking wow. and like writing in Spanish, honestly, just because it's, it's just a change of pace, you know, and it's just nice to you know talk in Spanish yeah. whereas, you know, yeah. you talk in English every day. I will say that though, I think that especially for Americans, looking at how the demographics of the United States will change. I think it's becoming an essential for people to learn Spanish and to brush up on their skills just to be able to communicate. And and that's just not just for your career, but just in general. It's good to have. I've done some podcasts in Spanish. I've written in Spanish and I've uh, I've done a lot of fun stuff with that language, and it's it's a really nice thing. If Gareth decides to stay in Spain, I would be happy to provide him Spanish tutoring lessons free of charge. I'm sure if um, if you DM him, then he might. Para ser honesto, mi español es no muy bien. <laughs> so I couldn't be very much of very much use. James, what did I say? I have no idea. I don't speak Spanish. I think I said, <laughs> to be honest, or something like that, my Spanish is not very good. So hopefully um, hopefully that came across. Otherwise, I look like a bit of an idiot. And just before we go on to... Uh... I hope you said something <laughs> completely different for everyone's sake, Johnny. I, I probably really did. did. I probably did. I'm not even going to ask Zach what I said because I'm not 100% sure I was right. But just, just before we go back onto the discussion, this is literally a 10-second thing and this has nothing to do with football. But I did notice that your cover photo on Twitter was um, the the world is yours, and it's sort of a clip from one of my favorite films, actually, Scarface. I just wondered if it's one of your favorite films. Yeah, it has. I've been listening to the soundtrack of that movie for the past week or something, just because it's a really good. You know, like she's on fire. Um, uh, it's so good. Diego, it's yeah, it's an amazing film. It also definitely wants to make you learn Spanish to some degree, even though Pacino's English is fine. No, it's an absolute classic. And James, I imagine you've seen it, but Zach, have you seen? Scarface? I absolutely love films, but Scarface is one of those classics I actually have never seen. Oh, what are you doing? I don't know. One of the best films of its genre and best films of the 80s, hands down, timeless classic. It's just one of the best films on just the American It is, scene. it is. Tony Montana, one of the greatest characters. But anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Oh, yeah. What are you doing, Dick? I didn't say a word. It's your fault, Jay. Yeah, it's all my fault. Yeah, you know, I'm the oldest, I'll take the blame. We're going to go back to the Spanish tutoring of Gareth Bale. 
So obviously, he might need some more because he might be there for another couple exactly, of years. Exactly, because yeah. you know, it, it, you know, I really feel sorry for Gareth Bale because I don't know how he can make ends meet on the um, paltry six hundred thousand pounds a week that he's. Got. I know, I know, it's so tough, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll throw this one to you. But what's going to happen to Gareth Bale? What do you think is going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, the transfer window um, in Spain closes at the end of August. There's a whole month. So anything could happen. There's offers from China. I don't think he wants to go to China. I heard one person say that one of the clubs in China who have offered to buy him and pay him a million pounds a week. Oh, crazy. The company that owns one of these clubs is owned by something that is owned by the person who also owns a company that owns Inter. So there was something it was a theory that somebody Jean was saying the Chinese club could buy him now, loan him to Inter in January and pay some of his wages. Now, I don't know what's going to actually happen, but Zidane kind of started opening up a pathway for him to stay after initially kind of saying, oh, we're talking to a club, we're close to doing a deal, that kind of thing. It's a complicated one with Gareth Bale because knowing like the player that I've seen throughout his career, his attitude has always been very professional. He works hard. He's kind of a leader on the pitch. And he's not the kind of guy, all these accusations of him like, oh, I'll just take my money and go and play golf. That doesn't sound like Gareth. No. And golf's so boring, isn't it? I mean, if you take his money and like go in a fancy car around a building, not golf. Golf's just... He's got a golf course in his garden. That's the thing. Yeah, he probably does. So he could just... That's not even an exaggeration. No, that's I... True. But I don't think that's true. I think that's, that's probably been a rumor spread around. But but we spoke to Alison Bender last week about the language. Yes. And I think yes, that I think that's the, been the biggest problem. I think not learning the language meant as if he's not connected with teammates quite as much. Maybe he's not connected with Zidane because Zidane doesn't speak English. So that's an issue. So I think anything could happen, including him staying at Madrid. I was reading an article from Stan Collymore, and I don't. It, and Stan's usually someone who you're either absolutely hundred percent in for, or think he's an absolute clown. So there's never really an in between. And on Bale, I thought he was kind of spot on. I just feel like he was sort of suggesting, Deck, that if you go to another country, don't make any effort to learn the language. Don't really make the effort to sort of embrace the culture and become one with the group of players then if anything get goes tough or the going gets tough you don't really have a leg to stand on do you no fully and it's unfortunate because if you think of just playing football he's done incredible things at madrid like it brought la decima home do you know what i mean that was the big one for them and ever since then he's won a league title i think in his first year there uh, multiple champions leagues one copa del rey so it's a really difficult one because you'd think that would be enough to fans but as we've seen in football like something that happens last season is can be instantly forgotten if something's not right right now and because he's one of these players that has such high wages it makes any sort of move so difficult we could see I think if any move was to happen Real Madrid probably wouldn't even want a fee just because they want him off the books and that's just absurd because it feels like anywhere else he'd be still asking for 50 plus million for a player like Gareth Bale I know he's getting to be on 30 years old now and for some teams that's like a big no-no but like we know that he can still perform at top level the only reason a move is so so difficult is because nobody can afford his wages and all the teams that probably can aren't interested. Like, what do you think about the whole situation? Well, I mean, just to touch up on what Colleen Moore said, I actually lived in Madrid for like four months and actually close to the Bernabeu. And I I went to classes and actually lived with a guy who didn't really speak Spanish, but he did make an effort to like, you know, sort of say some words. You know, Spaniards, they're forgiving. They If you at least make an effort to, you know, try then they'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll meet you halfway. You know, if you don't try at all to like assimilate, and I mean, looking at Madrid's squad, you have Brazilians like Marcelo, 
Frenchmen like Varane, Modric, who's Croatian, even Kubo, who's Japanese, all of these guys have made an effort and speak pretty decent Spanish. Bale really hasn't done that. But honestly, it's, it's more than just that. I think that this stems back to 2015, I think, when Real Madrid were playing arguably the best football over the past five years, just under Ancelotti. They ended up going trophyless, but they were playing some amazing football. But Bale wasn't in the lineup because, you know, he had gotten injured and was, you know, having difficulty performing. And then he went behind Ancelotti's back to Perez and said, basically, you know, threatened him and, and said, I want him sacked. And, and that's part of the reason why, you know, Ancelotti has, has spoken before about just how Bale has sort of been, went behind his back and really rubbed him the wrong way. So I think that's one part of it. And also, I mean, Zidane was pretty close to Ancelotti. Another key thing is, you know, Zidane, he is a man-manager. He gets along well with his players. The only player he's... Well, okay, that's not true. But the only player he's had these kind of nasty words with and just a nasty relationship, really, is Bale. You know, he's had difficulty with James and other players, but Bale is really the only player that's gotten to this point that's been so acerbic. I think part of that stems from, you know, right after he had a had a truly heroic performance in the 2018 Champions League final, first thing he did was basically say, if I'm not starting next season, I'm going to leave. That's pretty much what he said. And I just feel like as great of a player as he's been, and, and I think that he has more than paid back the record-breaking transfer fee that Real Madrid paid for him in 2013. While he has been a great player for Real Madrid, I don't know if he'll be regarded as a club legend by every fan simply because of these kind of factors. You know, the treatment he's had and just his sort of attitude with Ancelotti. Some people say he could have taken care of his body better, but I'm not sure if that's really his fault. I mean, perhaps he put on too much muscle, but it's a bit unfair to blame players when it comes to injuries. I just think that in terms of his statements after the Champions League final in 2018, his statements that helped get Ancelotti sacked, you know, a player who's beloved by fans, these kind of things are what caused his relationship with Real Madrid and his image to suffer so much. And I think that he has pretty much three offers right now. One, Tottenham, who are willing to pay, I think, half of his wages, as well as a transfer fee, whereas the Chinese clubs are play- willing to pay Bale a much higher salary but no transfer fee whatsoever. And you're willing to give him Spanish lessons if he stays at Madrid? I'm willing to give him Spanish lessons if he, <laughs> if he stays at Madrid or if he goes to China and just decides he wants to pick up a language, you know, just as a hobby. And I guess he has three different options. I think that in the case that he would leave to Spain, I mean, he's, he said that basically, you've got to pay me. I'm, I'm not going to leave without you paying me. So I think that... Which he has every right to. I agree. So I think that Real Madrid would have to pay him, I think, $25 million for the remaining three years of his salary. Whatever it is, it's just, it's so messy. And to be fair, I think that while Bale did have the best season of career in 2016, I do think Real Madrid erred in giving him that long and that big of a contract. Knowing that his physical health was declining and just knowing these problems, I think in hindsight, it was a bit risky. Of course, you know, you can justify it by looking at the Champions League finals but now you know we're here in late july and you know zidane doesn't want him bale doesn't want to be there 
it's just a messy situation for all parties. I think another issue you have to think about with Madrid, I don't think Perez especially would have never expected such a carousel of managers the last few years as well. Um, I don't think any sort of situation with any player has sort of helped. But especially now, especially this summer, Madrid were the first team that like went out and got their business done. And then it was like, right, and then we'll we'll sell our players. Like They look like they have a very solid team going into next season. And it, it, this whole thing just seems, like you said, Zach, a complete mess. One positive thing, though, well, one, for a Madrid player going who is leaving but only on loan, Dani Zabalos going to Arsenal, positive move probably for Real, who get to see a promising youngster develop another club for the player because he gets to, I think he's been guaranteed, actually, according to reports, a regular place in the Arsenal team. And for Arsenal, of course, who, as I say, have lost Aaron Ramsey. And, you know, that's a big void to fill and they've hopefully got someone who can try and sort of solidify that gap. Um, James, Arsenal have been slow on the transfer market, but this looks like a really good signing for them. Yes, it does. Um, and you're right, they have been very, very slow. We've had a lot of speculation about different players. Players, you know, he had bids for that ridiculous bid for Wilfred Zahar, finally. <laughs> and we'll get to him later, maybe. Yes. But yes, this is a good signing. He's a good player, a good young talent who will improve, especially when he's you know, playing regularly. Definitely an improvement for Arsenal. He played a little bit for Madrid last year as well, didn't he? So some were surprised. Yeah, he actually, did. That yeah, actually... uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, I was impressed with it. when they when I saw that they were getting, actually going to sign him. I was I was very impressed with that. I thought that's you know that's a clever signing. It's not too expensive. Um, he'll improve them, and so yeah, and he's not like an old player because they've bought a lot of older players recently. Um, he's a younger player, so he'll improve. He's got a lot of he'll have a lot of energy. So I think it's a good it's a clever signing for them. I watched him a lot at the Euro Under Twenty Ones this summer, where we saw players like Pablo Fernandes, who's gone to West Ham. So it's nice to see these exciting young Spanish players definitely coming to the Premier League and playing in the English League instead of maybe seeing them which is never a bad thing coming through Madrid and playing La Liga it's nice to see them play in the Premier League next year but I think the biggest thing you have to remember is it's, it's a loan deal yeah. and there's no buy after the season I feel like that would have been quality if Arsenal could have got that in that deal but I think he'll be a, a great replacement for this season but if he plays well I can see him definitely going back to Madrid and playing regularly there as well I mean to be fair Deck though you, you say it's only a loan but it was only a few weeks ago I think Arsenal were going to bid 40 million for Zahar and pay it over 40 years so I suppose that you, you can't imagine you know I would say it's probably efficient and quite clever transfer really because at the moment they're just not definitely like a big club are they? they've got the, the, the cash strapped as you said before because uh, their owner Stan Kroenke has got sort of priorities elsewhere you know in America as you alluded to which is where m- much of his finances are stocked so I actually learned a bit more on that today um, because another team in LA have just announced a brand new stadium in the same area as the Rams and Chargers Stadium in Inglewood. It's all paid for privately. There's no taxpayer money. And that's the same with the Rams Stadium. So that is all coming out of Stan Kroenke's money and, and other owners, other sources, of course, but it's all privately funded. So stuff like that can make a big difference, especially I know as much money Stan Kroenke is probably worth, but when you've got two very big franchises in Arsenal and the LA Rams, it, I can imagine imagine it definitely making a difference but yeah i mean you and zach are probably on par for your knowledge of american sports um you are very uh again you revealed that a few weeks ago that was quite fascinating insight but what i would say is that with regards to uh, the balos the big differential it seems Zach, between him going to Spurs and him going to Arsenal was that guarantee for football was the guarantee that it'd be a pivotal part of the Arsenal team something he might not necessarily have got at Spurs 
Yeah, I mean, there were really four teams that were interested in him. Milan was never really an option because they didn't have European football. Uh, Sevilla wasn't really an option because they just couldn't afford the economic demands. And it really came down between Arsenal and Tottenham. But Emery's conversations with the player and his family were kind of what caused them to go ahead of Tottenham in the negotiations. You know, Tottenham were very close to securing a deal. But thanks to Emery's just conversations with Ceballos, guaranteeing him, to play 40 plus matches for Arsenal and of course the Euros are next summer getting game time is the most important thing so it's easy to see why Ceballos wanted to leave but he didn't want to leave on a permanent deal you know he actually he stated that he wouldn't go to Milan on a permanent transfer even with a buyback option because he believes that he can be an important part of Real Madrid's future but no I actually I do think that Ceballos will end up starting for Arsenal uh, ahead of Ozil in the in the trick artista role and I think that he'll offer a lot of what Ramsey did. But I mean, he's a different player to Ramsey, but he can still offer those, you know, those runs and yeah, the dynamism, you know, providing Lacazette and Aubameyang with those through balls and just really carving open midfield. He's just a great player to have to open up deep blocks. And I think that for a total cost of 4 million, you know, 3 million in wages and a 1 million uh, loan fee, that's it's fine business from Arsenal, who has had issues with their budget this summer. We'll spend a bit more on Zahar, I think. Joe Linton, we talked about a little bit last week, but I'll give Deck a bit more time to shine on that one. I actually found it really funny because last week I mentioned, isn't it like funny how it's very similar, him coming from Brazilian, coming from the Bundesliga in Hoffenheim. And I saw um, Sky Sports had done an article saying, is he the new Bobby Firmino? I think he can be as successful as Firmino in the Premier League, but they, they are very, very different players, I think, in a sense. They may be Brazilian strikers, but they are very different um, players in that sense. But I think it's just as miserable as you probably are as a Newcastle fan at the moment, it seems. that's a, Breaking your transfer record again is a positive sign. A new striker to root for especially after you're not going to have Rondon last season who in seasons at West Brom and Newcastle has really proved how good of a striker he is um, there does seem to be a could be a good source of goals for them and also now we see them um, linked with St. Maximin in, uh, from Nice so they all seem like really positive moves for them so um, I'm just happy I'm happy to see Jolinton in, in the Premier League Okay, he's not got the strongest goal record for a £40 million buy, but would you not be worried by that for him when he tried to acclimatise to England? No, I, I don't think so, Like because he, he's one of these players and he especially did, uh, we saw at Hoffenheim last season, it was definitely Kramaric that got more of the goals, just because he was more of the number 10, and the way that Hoffenheim played with three at the back and wing-backs, it just suited the number 10 more, but I think in Newcastle's system, especially if they can get um, another winger in, and especially this will be Almiron's first full season at Newcastle, we could definitely really see a bit more creativity in that Newcastle yeah. team. Uh, well, I'm sure they're looking forward to Bruce Ball um, down at... Uh, <laughs> Last one then, quite a big one really. Sort of, We had a spider's web going on there, so I thought we'd ping to each continent on that little web. And now we've just broke off from the web and we, we, I can't bother doing a segue. So it, We're just we're stuck in England. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? There's a hard one because it came out of nowhere really. It was linked with Arsenal, who, as I say, £40 million over two decades or whatever that they were going to pay it which was ridiculous and then we thought he's not going anywhere but then all of a sudden Everton come out of nowhere and say we're throwing our hat into the ring and then James you mentioned and then I looked it up that Chelsea have also supposedly thrown their hat into the ring but they've got a transfer ban everyone is, everyone is saying but it, this, is for, this is for the summer after isn't it James? I was really fascinated by that story because Chelsea have been linked with Zaha before from what I know Chelsea wanted to buy him last summer but didn't want to Palace asked for and if we hadn't had a ban this summer we may have may well have bid for him as well uh, they definitely had an interest for a long time so that story makes a lot of sense 
Well, Matt Law is quite well connected at Chelsea. He's the one that reported it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's an interest in Zaha from Chelsea. But at the same time, I suspect that part of that was leaked by Palace yeah. to drive the price up because Everton yeah. are interested and they want to get as high a price as possible, or they just want to, or they just want to push Everton away and send a message that Zaha doesn't have to. Zaha can stay this summer, but still get a big move. He's still 26, and I'm sure he'd be on Chelsea's shortlist next summer because next summer they will be losing at least one winger if not two so you wouldn't be surprised yeah it's really um it really depends on whether Everton pay the money and whether he whether he's willing to go there but whoever gets him is getting a very good player yeah, in terms of Everton, Zach, um, they're a club, actually, they're often quite ambitious. And I feel like with Zaha, this is kind of their ceiling, really, of what they can get right now. I mean, it in a good way, that they can't necessarily try and spend big on a player who's at a European club for the reason, A, he's probably playing European football, and he will have probably really quite big wages, which Everton would maybe struggle to compete with or better. Whereas with Zaha, I think he's on about £100,000 a week at Crystal Palace. Now, that is something they can probably work with to better and also offer him the prospect of European football, which means that they'd probably be willing, I feel, to really push the boat out and splash the money on the transfer fee because they, you know, this is a top, top player who is potentially within their grasp, is he not? He is in their grasp. And I think that looking back at just Moshiri's investments into the club and just injecting more and more money for Marcel Brands to work with, Everton have shown that they can splurge big amounts of money. And, and this summer, they really haven't made many moves. Uh, Jonas Losel arriving in from Huddersfield on a free. Fabian Delph uh, coming in for a minimal amount to bring you know experience into midfield. And Andre Gomes coming in on a permanent transfer. They have enough money to just reserve and make one really big blockbuster move. And I think given the fact that, well, Tottenham have other options with, you know, the Lo Celso pursuit and Arsenal are just being Arsenal and, you know, penny pinching on whatever... I think I would not be shocked to see Everton go ahead in the race and nail them down. Although I do think that Palace would certainly prefer the Chelsea move. I mean, they know that Zaha has wanted to leave for a while now. But I mean, looking here, we're, we're two weeks two weeks left uh, before the window closes. They haven't found a replacement for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I'm not sure if they're even going to buy one or, or you know stick with, I don't know, Joel Ward and Martin Kelly. And to leave themselves short of their best player with, with Zaha gone, that is very worrying. And they've managed to consolidate comfortable mid-table finishes uh, over the past few years under Hodgson. But that is very concerning if you're a Palace fan looking at Arguably, your two best players leaving uh, with no replacement. But no, I think Everton, they really do need that game changer in attack. Everton could feasibly break into the top six this season. Yeah. I mean, it's it'll be tough. Leicester and Everton, I think. Everton only if they get Zaha. Wolves, maybe, but they still have a very thin squad, especially with the departures of, you know, Helder Costa and, um, or, no, Ivan Cavalera, I think. And, and just Everton... Yeah, I think if Everton get Zaha, I mean, that's a game changer. And Everton and Leicester should both be considered as threats for the top six. Chelsea, I mean, they've lost their best player. They're without Hudson-Odoi. They're, you know, Loftus-Cheek. They've got a manager who's in the second year of his managerial career. Can I actually say... Here we go. Hudson-Odoi is actually training again. 
I think he's going to be fit. They're saying he's going to be fit by September. Talking about um, Zaha again, sorry if I can interject, but it does just seem a bit baffling. If, if you were a Palace fan, if you're all Palace right now, yeah. Everton are not too far away from you. Would you be a bit annoyed like Zaha? I think I'd be a bit annoyed because you've always shown love to Zaha. You gave him a home again after he left and failed and didn't get his chance at United. And now you'd be going to another team that wouldn't be playing in Europe. It seems like he'd only leave if he was going to a top European team. The aspirations, though, are that Everton in a few years... I I, I fully get that. With Everton building a new stadium, they're definitely a team on the up and trying to compete with their Merseyside rivals who are flying high at the moment. With Palace, I've sometimes seen them and they put everyone behind yeah. the ball against some of the big teams yeah. basically asks Zaha to take three or four players on and do it all by yeah. himself yeah. I think he wants to be I think also, yeah. probably more than anything else I think also there's a thing with the, 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 the Chelsea link is that Palace still like Michi Batshuayi and uh, he was on loan there last year and I suspect they felt if they sold it to Chelsea they would have a, a much better Chelsea would probably give them a, an easier run at... but they also like Cheng Chosun from Everton yeah yeah that's right yeah what I would say, though, and I'm pretty sure we're all in agreement, just to wrap this whole thing up, if Zahar, as you were saying, Zach, if Zahar left and on the back of Wambisaka leaving and they don't have the right replacements in, and to be honest, I don't see how they can better Zahar if he departed with anyone. And Wambisaka. Yeah, and Wambisaka too. Then they become relegation candidates as far as I'm concerned. Probably. I, I really yeah. believe that. I don't think Hodgson can make something out of a team without Juan Bissaka and without Zaha. And I think their their only signing has been, what, like a third-choice goalkeeper on a free transfer? I mean, it's just been shocking business all around. So, wonderful. Roll in unison. We're all agreed. And that's probably the end of the podcast. So, big thanks, for Zach, for coming on. Great insight. Thanks, Zach. Cheers, man. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Thanks so much. For... Thanks to you two again for turning up. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's wonderful. Fifty degrees Celsius outside, but of course, climate oh change doesn't happen. Not a problem. Wow, <laughs> was that an impression we heard? We we need to get you to do that more, Johnny. Yeah, I think so. Fake news with no impression. <laughs> so wow, uh, we were. Uh, sorry, I only did that because we've got an American guest on. I apologise. It's terrible. Thanks for listening, everyone. Leave them laughing. That's that's what we want. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye.